The other day, my seven-year-old Wes pulled out a Lego book, starts showing me all the different Lego sets that he wants. Ooh, I want this one, Dad. And then he goes, no, 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 wait, wait, wait. This one. Oh, no, no, hold on. This one. And he goes on and on and on. And he says, this one for my birthday. This one for my birthday. Ooh, Star Wars. This one. This train. This one. This one for my birthday. His birthday is not until April of next year. (laughs) But I love his heart because after he's done showing me his wish list, he goes, how about you, Dad? What do you want? It reminds me of that iconic song from the 90s, Earworm of a Tune. Anyone knows this one? I'll tell you what I want, what I really, really want. You tell, yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Two and a half minutes of fluff, right? But you got to love the question they ask. And it's a question I want us to consider today. What do you want? What do you want? We hear this asked around Christmas time, right? Birthdays, anniversaries, like 58th wedding anniversaries, right? Um, we consider this question, what do you want. And I want us to go beyond presence today. I want us to go beyond just the stuff. If we really think about the question, what is it that comes to mind? I think for some of us, we want mended relationships. We see, maybe it's with a family member, maybe it's an ex, maybe it's a close friend where there's some sort of a betrayal or some sort of an abandonment or rejection. And what we really want is for some kind of healing in those relationships, right? For others of us here, maybe we want freedom, freedom from addictions, freedom from downward spiraling habits. We, we see the brokenness in our world, but it's not out there. It's in here. And what we want is liberation from those things that keep holding us down. What is it for you? Better schools, revitalized neighborhoods, a sense of renewed hope. What do we want. And yet how often to our lists, right, of wants and wishes, these hopes and dreams, have we all eventually found that life comes and it hits us and it goes, nope, not going to happen. Right? We show up with our list and, and it's like life goes, oh, you want health? Well, here's a diagnosis. Oh, you want mended relationships? Guess what? Here's uh, hurtful words and conflict and family trauma. We want one thing, don't we? But the brokenness of our world hits us from every angle. Is there hope? Is there healing? Is there freedom? Is any of this really possible? And what if I told you that the answer is better than you can even imagine? And that somehow you and I are key to seeing it become reality. That for as dark and evil and hopeless as our world can be, God longs to bring his power. He wants to open the floodgates, to let loose the glory of heaven in a way that raises this dead and dying world to new life. And what if it is his expectation that you and I were meant to partner with him in making this happen? What? If. Please turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. 
Philippians 3, we're going to be working through just a couple verses this morning, verses 10 and 11, as we wrap up a series that we've been in called Surprising Worth. Now, it may have been the 90s when the Spice Girls popularized the line, tell me what you want, what you really, really want. But it was the Apostle Paul, if you ask me, who first started the conversation. Here's how he puts it, Philippians 3, 10 and 11. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. He says, I want to know Christ. The author here, the apostle Paul, is just so enamored with Jesus. He is so enthralled by Jesus. He's like, Jesus is all I want. And I just imagine this incredibly massive dog, like something out of Sandlot. You remember the movie Sandlot? This big old mastiff. And it's like chained up with one of those collars that has spikes on it that dig into its neck so that it like keeps it from wanting to run off the leash, right? Well, I just imagine out of the bushes comes something, right? Rabbit dinner, right? And the dog is just like, just like such running out. And it doesn't matter how the spikes are digging in. It's like, all I want is that. All I want is that. And the apostle Paul is kind of like that, isn't he? Every ounce of pain, every trial, I will lay it all aside. I don't care what it is. All I want is to know Jesus. And this word for know isn't merely theoretical. It's not like he elected to audit a college course on Jesus. No, this word for knowing is about knowing experientially. It's the difference between simply reading a book on how to ride a bike and actually riding a bike. And and yet it's even more than that. A closer understanding of this word know would be to look at the portions in scripture where it says, and Adam knew Eve and she bore a son. See, there is an intimacy there. It's personal. It's close. Paul's like, of all the things I could ever hope for in life or want to do in life, I want to know Jesus. And then he states his reason why. Verse 10 continues. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection. See, what makes this Jesus so special? Well, unlike every other person in human history, when Jesus suffered on the cross for us and died, he didn't stay dead. I recognize this may not be news for many of us. Like that should have gotten us like, oh my gosh, the Chiefs just drafted fill in the blank player. Like that should have gotten us riled up, but it doesn't because we're so used to hearing it, right? Jesus rose from the dead. I mean, even if Even if you're a new Christian or even if you have just visited church once before, let's say it was on Easter Sunday, you know Easter has a single point, right? Jesus didn't stay dead. Well, it's because for Christians, the resurrection is kind of a big deal. This is why as early as the third century, early Christians convened together and they began drafting a document of the most central ideas to the Christian faith. Because there was a lot of debate and division happening in the church at that time. No way that's relevant, right? And so these early Christians, they come together and they start writing. They're like, look, there's a lot of room for debate, but these are the central things to our faith that we can never deviate from. Well, we've come to know this document as the Apostles' Creed, and here is one tenet of what it says. 
I believe in Jesus Christ who suffered, was crucified, died and buried, and the third day he rose again. He rose again. The resurrection of Jesus is historical fact. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is historical fact. This is hardly debated, right? And not just in Christian circles. Even secular scholars are unsure what to do with this Jesus because very few are able to deny that a historical Jesus did in fact exist all those centuries ago, but no one's been able to like find the body. Awkward. It's no wonder the resurrection of Jesus has Paul so enamored here. He's like, have you met Jesus? Do you know that he's alive today? If you do, you'd be obsessed with him as I am. But it's more than this. Because he adds how he doesn't just want to know the resurrection of Jesus. It says this in verse 11. Watch this. And so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Attaining. I like how one other translation puts it. It says, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection of the dead. I will experience. See, to Paul, the resurrection isn't simply historical fact. There there is some way in which we can gain access to and attain to the resurrection as well. And we know this because it's not enough for Paul to know intellectually that the resurrection happened. He says he wants to experience it, to attain to it, to get in on it by any means necessary. The resurrection of Jesus is more than historical fact. In fact, it is our future hope as well. The resurrection of Jesus is more than historical fact. It is our future hope. Amen? With this statement... Paul breaks into a common debate of that day. See, there were two predominantly held positions at that time. That someday in the future, a resurrection would be coming for the righteous. Or that this life was all there is and there is no resurrection. Those were the two popular positions. Even within Judaism, we had the Pharisees who believed a future resurrection was real. And then you had the Sadducees who believed there was no resurrection to come, which is why they were sad, you see. You will never forget the difference now. But think about the difference this belief would make in how you live. If we believed that this life was all that there is, that there is no heaven, that there is no forever, that there is no eternal life, no significant future in store, just death, then really think about this. What is the reason to live this life at all? What's the reason to strive toward a better tomorrow if there is no guarantee that any of us will be around to see it? Let's say you're on a ship, the Titanic, all right? And you know it's going down. All the life rafts are gone and you've got 10 minutes before the whole thing is submerged in the icy depths of the Atlantic. And then the captain shows up and he goes, guys, terrible news. The boiler is about to blow any minute. Do you grieve the boiler? Do you try to fix the boiler? No. What use is it to grieve and fix the boiler if we're all about to drown anyway? Life 
is like that too. If this life is all there is, really think about this. If this life is all there is, there's no eternity, no hope of resurrection whatsoever for us or our world, then this life means nothing at all. But then think about it. If there is a resurrection to come, if Jesus' resurrection is more than simply historical fact, but it is also our future hope, then my goodness, this world and everything in it has eternal meaning. Paul steps into the debate ring to argue that there is a future resurrection, but then he takes it a step further and he says, because not only is there a resurrection to come, like some distant thing we can give a theoretical nod toward, but this future resurrection is also meant to energize us in the here and now. And we see this because of what Paul says just earlier. Verse 10 again. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection. And again, this word for know is not merely intellectual. It is intimate. It is close. It is tasting and experiencing in the now. And see, Paul, for Paul, the resurrection is more than historical fact. And it's more than just future hope. The resurrection empowers today. The resurrection empowers today. And that's why he says, I want to know, verse 10, the power of his resurrection. The power. And this power we discover in other places of Paul's writings, is none other than the Holy Spirit of God. Ephesians 1 describes the Spirit as the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead. And then Romans 8 spells this out and elaborates further when it says, the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. See, Paul models for us a life that is so bent on knowing the resurrection of Jesus, not merely as fact or hope, but as having present life-shaping realities. And he says this is possible through the power of the resurrection, that is the Holy Spirit, who, who was the power that raised Christ, not only Christ from the dead, but is actually presently dwelling and living and therefore raising us to new life too. The Spirit seals us for the day of redemption. The Spirit guides us into all truth. The Spirit sends us out as witnesses. The Spirit fuels us with boldness. The, the Spirit replaces fear with peace, frustration with patience, apathy with love, and the Spirit unites us into one temple through which the whole world encounters the glory and the presence of God. Because where the Spirit of God is, there is freedom. And when the Spirit of God takes his dwelling in us, we are empowered with gifts to build the body and bless the world. Paul's like, I want to taste this power now. Don't you? What area in your life is in need of resuscitation today? What relationship, what verdict, what diagnosis, what circumstance needs the resurrection power of Christ today? Paul says, it's yours. In Jesus, it is yours. 
But maybe we miss it. And maybe we miss it because we're not willing to pay the price for it. Let me explain. There's one more phrase that we skipped over in Philippians 3. Verse 10 again. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection, and, oh, I hate that word, and, and participation in his sufferings, becoming like Jesus in his death. Somehow, Paul has linked the Holy Spirit's resurrection power in our life to suffering and death. Huh? Right? What's the deal with that? Now, at first, this seems off, but as you consider it, it makes logical sense. After all, how can something be raised again to life unless it's dead? Really think about this. Something can't possibly come back to life if it hasn't died first. If only what's dead can be raised to life, then perhaps the reason we're not experiencing God's power in our lives as anything more than theory is because we're unwilling to die. After all, the same Jesus who said that he came into the world, that we would have abundant life, life to the full, also added, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their own cross or their own electric chair and follow me. Suffering and death are the activating agents God uses to manifest or reveal his power in our life. Let me see if I can illustrate this for us. A couple weeks ago, we celebrated new life and baptisms as a church down at the farm. And what a beautiful time together. Uh, my, my daughter, Annie, she played one of the games there and won a prize. It was a glow stick, actually a series of glow sticks. My kids have been fighting over it for weeks now. It's been a lot of fun. <laughs> and um, I've always thought these were the coolest things as a kid growing up. Because like, you know, as dark as it could get, this thing will glow and it'll glow for, I don't know, maybe 10 minutes, but it glows long enough that it's cool. And, um, but one of the things for all the glowing power that these things have, do you know what it requires for them to light? Breaking. The light cannot shine unless we're broken. It's not until we are broken, until we've entered into suffering and seen the things in our lives that we've been trying to keep alive in our own power finally die off, that we will finally find God's resurrection power become anything more than just theory for us. See, God's power activates in the breaking, in suffering in death. And the darker the tomb, the brighter God's light will shine. Are we willing to enter into the darkness? Are we willing to be broken and join in the sufferings of Christ that his resurrection power would be seen in and through our life? Because God's power activates in the breaking. 
And if the resurrection is more than historical fact and future hope, then it, and if it is truly able to empower us today, then how? Well, there are two main ways as I see it from our text this morning. First, God's power, his resurrection power can be seen in our suffering. In our suffering. Can I offer some encouragement this morning? If you are at your lowest, feeling devastated, powerless, if you find yourself in a dead-end job, in a dying relationship, if you are walking out a diagnosis that has you so down in the dumps right now, you don't know how you're going to make it another day, hear the word of the Lord. The power that raised Christ from the dead is still able to raise the dead and dying things in your life today. He is able. He can do it. His power activates in the breaking. Now, maybe you've heard the lie before that God won't ever give you something more than what you can handle. Come on, really? Where's the chapter and verse on that one? But I want us to consider this. What if the very reason you are going through what you're going through is because it requires a power greater than your own to endure it? What better circumstance is there for God's resurrection power to be showcased except in a situation beyond what any of us can muscle out on our own? What if the faith that it takes to hold on despite it all is actually the greatest evidence of God's power at work within you? Listen to how the Apostle Peter writes this to Christians suffering all kinds of ways. 1 Peter 3.15, In your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you. Watch this. To give the reason for the hope that you have. And do so with gentleness and respect. What if the only thing intriguing enough to get the world's eyes set on Jesus is you enduring what you're enduring, but with hope. Think about it. If not for the cross and the empty tomb, would any of us even think twice about Jesus? And yet, because he endured what he did, and lives again to tell the, t- tell the tale, how much more relevant has his life become for us? Would it be worth it for you? Would it be worth it for me to endure whatever hardship necessary if it meant that others would see his power at work through you and come to know this Jesus for themselves? Would it be worth it? What else is Jesus' promise about in in Acts 1.8? Acts 1.8, he says to his first followers and us, you will receive power When the Holy Spirit comes on you, there it is, right? Power of the Holy Spirit, power in this life, but for what purpose? He says, you will be my witnesses. That's the reason. We have power in this life. Why? To give witness of and bear witness to Jesus Christ. That's it. That's the reason why we have this power. And the word for witness in the original Greek is none other than the word martus, which is where we get our English word martyr from. 
And for many throughout church history, this martyrdom was literal. It was literal. Yet even being a witness to that end, even if it's not for all of us, it's no secret to Paul that if you want to know Jesus, really to truly know him, if you want to experience tangibly the resurrection power of the Holy Spirit in your life, bearing the fruit of love and joy and peace, patience, and on and on the list goes, to become more and more like Jesus, we cannot do so except through participation in his sufferings, meaning it's going to cost something. Something has to die, and that something is us, but it is a death that leads to life. And for some of us, that power will mean God doing a miraculous healing in your life. And for others of us, that power means hope-filled courage to endure until the end. I'm reminded of one pastor who was diagnosed with cancer in his later years of ministry. The Sunday after his terminal diagnosis, he told his congregation, the last 38 years, I taught you how to live. These next few months, I will teach you how to die. And that he did. That's one way that his resurrection power shows up in our own suffering. And here's the other. In our suffering with others. Not only in our suffering, but in our suffering with others. See, maybe you're here and you've lived a relatively easy life. A life where you had very little hardship, very little struggle, and we hear a message like this one and maybe we start to feel a tinge of guilt. You know, I I haven't really suffered. Life hasn't cost me that much. Am I useless here? And my friend, I want to tell you, you are not useless at all. In fact, you are perfectly positioned to enter the suffering of others. After all, isn't this what Jesus did? Laying aside the glories of heaven, entering into our story, walking with us, taking on flesh and bone in order to hear our plight, enter our fray and endure whatever this world would dish his way. And yet in the glory of his resurrection, now we find our resurrection to glory. Hallelujah. Who here yearns to watch God move? Who here longs to see with your own two eyes undeniable demonstrations of his resurrection power? It is going to take entering into the suffering of others. Frankly, it's going to take getting uncomfortable. It's going to take going across the cafeteria to the person at the lunch table who's sitting alone by themselves and talking to them. It's going to take speaking out when someone you know is being gossiped about or bullied. It's going to take working the night shift because there are no other Christians who work the night shift in your workplace that are openly sharing about Jesus through their actions and their words. It's going to take regular trips to the border to stand in the gap with beloved individuals and families who find themselves caught in the crosshairs of political games. 
It's going to take starting mission sites all around the KC Metro and beyond, knowing that God is trying to reach the whole world by any means necessary. I want to invite up a crew this morning. They are about to take God up on their word. Come on up. You know who you are. They're going to take God up on his word. Uh, Dick, Stefan, Robin, Darlis, we got more. Come on up. Presently, there is no church in East Lynn at all. You guys come on up. It's fine. Yeah. And so this life team has decided to do something about that. They've decided to enter into the suffering of others there through Bible studies, through prayer, through barbecue, through, pre- uh, through, through time together and more. And well, they have heard the call and they have decided to answer with this way. Next month, in fact, as soon as next week, Heart of Life is opening up another mission site, another campus in East Lynn because of this group right here. And I am reminded of Acts chapter 13 when a group of Christ followers are worshiping Jesus and there the Holy Spirit, the power of the resurrection said, set aside for me these few who will do the work I've called them to. And today we are acknowledging that God has set you apart, this group of missionaries right here to do the work as God has called them. So I want us to lay hands and to pray a prayer of commissioning over them. Would you, even from where you are, you can just reach out um, or if, I guess if you even want, you can even come over here and lean over. But I just want to say a prayer of blessing over you guys and commission you as the Lord has called you guys. Thank you. Actually, come, with this, come a little closer. I, want to, I can't span the gap. Awesome. Go ahead. Just from where you are, just reach out. Lord's going to pray. We're going to pray and the Lord's going to, going to bless. Father God, it is thrilling to see that the promise Christ made that he would build a church and the gates of hell would not prevail against it is still unfolding before us. And so Lord, as we see this crew right here and others from East Lynn through the Bible studies and elsewhere who have committed to being part of this and, and City Hall opening their doors, Lord, as we see you orchestrating all of this, we just wanna pray your blessing over this team. Would you guard them? Would you guide them? Would you protect them? And would you fill them with your Holy Spirit? Lord, as they enter the suffering of others, may they see with their own two eyes undeniable evidences of your resurrection power at work in East Lynn. May the dead and dying be raised to life. May there be stories that are told. May this be a moment, Lord, a moment that we look back on and say, remember when? Not for our glory, God, but for yours. This we ask in the name of Jesus Christ, the name that is able to save, that has been able to save and will continue to save. Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you, guys. To see the resurrection power of God it is going to take getting uncomfortable. And when we do, the resurrection power of Jesus will be known in every place. And we will not miss out on experiencing this power for ourselves. 
And so we step in, don't we? And we rise up and we enter the call. We will take whatever loss personally in order to make known the glories of the one that we have come to know. And we will find that God meets us there in the darkness, in the grave, and he works his power for the purpose of people seeing Jesus. Amen. Now, you know the unfortunate thing about these glow sticks? Look at the difference. This one I opened today. This one was opened yesterday. See the difference? The unfortunate thing is eventually they run out. Eventually they run out. If I were to break one of these again, if I put them in the dark, it never would shine. It can't possibly shine because the light is gone. And I'm reminded of two realities. It's not suffering alone that invites the power of God. It's God's power that raises dead things to life. Some of you are here today and you've never experienced this resurrection power because you've never placed your trust in Jesus. If that's you, then today can be the day that you do. See all that Jesus has done for you. See how he lived the life you should have lived and how he died the death we should have died and that now that he lives, we can live in him. See this. If that is you, cry out to him, believe in him and may his resurrection power raise you up. But I'm also reminded that there are some of us here today and we are broken and what we need is a recharge. We need to be filled again. We need the power that raised Christ from the dead to revive us once more. And I cannot imagine a better way to do that together than right now through the Lord's Supper. In a moment, I'm gonna pray over us. The band will be up here and they're gonna sing a song over us and invite us to sing in a little bit. But I wanna invite you when you are ready to go up to one of these baskets around the room or in your location if you're tuning in, and I want you not just to come on your own, but, but bring a friend, someone in your row, maybe a family member or as a family, come on up, grab some of these, take a seat in a quiet corner and pray together and celebrate the Lord's Supper together. Because as we prepare our hearts for the Lord in this way, I wanna remind us what it is we're doing. First Corinthians ten sixteen says, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? See, through the bread and the cup, which depict for us the body and blood of Christ Jesus, we participate in the sufferings of Christ, that we would be his hands and his feet here on earth. We rehearse the story of Jesus together, how he took on our suffering and our death, that in our suffering and death, we would find ourselves too being raised to newness of life and becoming a resurrecting presence in the world around us. So let me pray for us. And then when you're ready, let's respond. God, I wanna pray for my friends here today that you would meet them right where they are. May your Holy Spirit open their eyes to see just what it is that they need to see. 
some are here and they're in a place of pain right now and it's time to let someone in to walk alongside them just as Jesus came to walk alongside us all. And then there are others of us here, Lord, others of us who have been living in our own sheltered, safe, comfortable bubbles. But now it's time, like Jesus, to step out of our own personal sunny days and into the places of pain where we can walk with and listen to and love those in their darkest moments. (laughs) Jesus, you laid aside heaven's best so you could suffer the worst here with us. You were willing to give everything away so we could receive blessing after blessing, willing to enter into the sorrows of death that we would be lifted from its ashes and brought into newness of life. And so for any here who still do not know you, would you help them to see that you are the one they've been looking for and that you have always been with them in their fire and in their pain. From the depths of our hearts, we thank you, Jesus. Transform us into a kingdom of wounded healers that in our suffering, this world would know of your healing, life-giving resurrection power. This is what we want, Lord. And so we ask for it in your name. Amen.